I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Listen today as I read chapter three of my book, How to Plant and Grow a Church, a complete manual for small church growth. Do you have what it takes to plant a church or go on a mission team? This chapter describes the personal qualities necessary to become a church planter or missionary. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I hope you're planning on going to the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference in Dallas, Texas, November 30th through December 3rd, 2023. It's going to be an amazing time to learn, to grow, to build relationships with other like-minded people, kingdom-minded disciples from around the world who want to grow, who want to learn, and who want to be their best for God. So I hope to see you in Dallas. Chapter 3. How do you know if you're ready to plant a church? Before you run off and start meeting in a new city with a dream to preach the word, take some time to do a self-analysis. Do you have what it takes to start a church from scratch? It's a hard job and offers no guarantee of success. You'll need to assess whether you have the passion and the talent to get the job done. Talk to other people and ask their opinion if you're unsure about your self-awareness. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble by starting with a searching look inside before you get started. The MacGyver Skill Unlike membership or even leadership within an existing church in which you may be responsible for one aspect of service or leadership, church planting demands that you do it all. You may or will be expected to organize or lead songs, preach, incorporate, find locations, negotiate contracts, shepherd people, offer marriage or parenting advice. You will organize events, program worship services, and schedule retreats. If you don't have the quote-unquote MacGyver gene or the ability or desire to be reasonably good at a lot of different things, you may struggle. I remember a friend of mine in high school telling me that I was a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. That discouraged me because he was right. I wasn't great at any one sport. I'd been cut from baseball, basketball, and had to join the one team that didn't cut those trying out, wrestling. I was interested in several different fields, but was not notable in any one particular. I didn't realize until later that God had created me that way for a calling to the ministry. Ministry rewards those who are reasonably competent in a broad variety of fields. Church planting demands a broad tool base to succeed. In World War II, American GIs often came from rural areas where they had grown up working on cars, farm equipment, and houses. They had learned to make do and to improvise when confronted with breakdowns and problems. That ability proved handy on the battlefield When plans or equipment broke down under fire, they found a way to win when it counted. When you consider your character, do you have a broad array of interests, 
Are you the type that's unafraid to get under the hood of your car and fix something if you have to? Do you enjoy learning a new skill when needed? Do you consider yourself as only excelling in one or two fields? That might prove problematic in an environment that demands basic competency and improvisational skills. Creativity. When I say creativity, I don't mean the ability to paint, write songs, or put together amazing scrapbooks. I mean the ability to improvise and find new ways to solve existing problems. Every mission field offers new challenges. You'll start with a church template that you borrowed or acquired from your past church experiences. However, that will only serve you to a certain extent. At some point, you'll need to start creating new methods and ways to reach the people in your chosen mission field. You probably won't figure this out until six months after you've arrived in your new town. But at that point, when you hit your first growth barrier, your ability to create new ways of getting the gospel across to people is going to be tested. Having a church meeting in your home weekly will demand creative solutions. For example, where will the children meet for children's worship? Where will people park? How long should the service last? How will we deal with the neighbors and their questions? All of these and countless more will call for creativity on your part. Comfortable with uncertainty. There is no guarantee that you will succeed. You are going against the odds. Not only that, but despite all the books you may read, all the advice you may receive, and all the ideas you, you have going into the planting, you will still face challenges you weren't expecting. When Pam and I moved to Oregon, we didn't know how it was all going to work out. We didn't know all the details up front. We had to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I really respect my wife for going along with me on that venture because she's a person who loves to know the plan in advance. Not only that, but this was not her hometown, and she is from Boston and not from a small town. Despite this, she was willing to go and to go gladly without every eventuality laid out in advance. Faith must move out of the realm of theory and become a guiding reality. God usually only gives you enough guidance and information to take the next step. He doesn't lay out his methods in advance for you to understand and approve. Imagine driving from San Francisco to New York City. You probably wouldn't think, I've never done it before, so I don't know the road entirely, or I can only drive during daylight hours because I'm not familiar with the way. All you'd need is a basic map and your headlights. Those headlights would provide enough light to get you safely through the next stretch of road. That's all you need. That 100 feet of illuminated highway in front of you would enable you to get anywhere you desired to go. Similarly, you will have the destination in mind to build a healthy church in your hometown. However, God will only light up the path directly in front of you. He'll provide just-in-time answers to your prayers and requests for guidance. You'll be walking by faith and practicing what spiritual heroes of the past were commended for. Don't freak out if you don't have all the answers or methods in place. God will provide answers to your questions, people for you to reach out to, and locations for you to meet when the time comes. Not a slave to security. Church planting is not for the faint at heart. 
If you're looking for guarantees, this is not the field for you. Although God never offers promises of safe and secure lifestyles, it's tempting to expect God to provide a smooth path for a comfortable existence. Planting a church typically involves moving to a new location, which in and of itself is stressful. Not only that, it'll often demand that you look for and find a new job or new company to work for, which creates financial stress. Your kids will need to find a new school and new friends, which is unsettling for them and you. Your family will either love it or hate it, depending on whether you're moving toward or away from them. You'll be leaving established relationships in your current church family and neighborhood. You'll need to start all over in a brand new environment. There's very little that you'll be able to find security in during the startup phase, except for your relationship with God, your marriage, and your immediate family. Even your mission team will be under a tremendous amount of pressure rebuilding their lives in a new location. They'll be looking to you for support and encouragement. Any money you may have saved will quickly diminish as you use it to set yourself up. You may have unexpected expenses and breakdowns that you couldn't anticipate. If any of this sounds scary, it is. Don't move forward if you or your spouse is a world-class warrior or nail-biter. On the other hand, if the thought of finding your security in God alone is strangely attractive, you might be on the right track. Comfortable with setbacks and failures. If a thing is worth doing, it is worth doing badly. G.K. Chesterton Think of church planting as one big experiment. You will try many things, and a few things will work well. Many things will be started and discarded. You'll study the Bible with many people and watch a majority of them decline to follow Christ. You will write and deliver sermons in which you embarrass yourself in front of a crowd of people you love and respect. You must prioritize mission over your pride and appearance. You have to be able to shake off setbacks and embarrassments. Before you get to be great at church leadership, you will go through God's school of embarrassing failures and character-building exercises. Three months into our first church planting in Portland, Oregon, we scheduled our first Neighbor Day service. We talked about it and promoted it and asked everyone on the team to bring their friends and family. The morning of the event, I was shaving when I heard someone talking on our voice message machine. Uh, Rob, this is Mike. I'm up here outside the meeting hall. The janitors aren't letting us in. They say we don't have it rented for today. What do you want me to do? I started sweating immediately. Pam turned and looked at me in the bathroom mirror. Did you renew the rental contract for the fall semester? Well, I, uh, I'm not sure, I sputtered. Pam was furious. I was panicked. We raced up to the meeting hall in a steady drizzle of rain common to Portland, Oregon. I checked the doors, hoping that they'd magically open for me because I was a nice person. Nope. Locked tight. I directed people to gather in the adjacent outdoor Korean War Memorial. We started the service in the rain. Ten minutes later, we finished the entire worship. Many friends and visitors arrived just as we were finishing the final prayer of our big neighbor day. As I spoke, I glanced over at Pam and saw that the rain was turning to steam as it touched her skin. She was incensed at my failure to renew the rental contract. 
Later that same day, I gathered the mission team and apologized to everyone for my lapse. Everyone was very forgiving. Even Pam was talking to me by the end of the day. I had learned a life lesson. Pay attention to the critical details. Make sure I have a checklist to remind me of periodic items. That was merely one example of many embarrassing failures I've endured. However, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly at the beginning. Before you become great at something, you'll go through a period where you're tempted to quit. You'll have to endure the awkward silence of those who recognize that you're still in the apprentice stage. At some point, you'll become good and even excellent at the skills that make up a good church leader. However, when starting, accept and even enjoy the learning process. Failures are not fatal. You will experience them. Don't let the fear of failure hold you back from doing what matters to you. One exercise that's helped me overcome failure paralysis is writing out the worst-case scenario. Take out a sheet of paper and write down all the possible things that could go wrong, such as embarrassment, people speaking negatively of you, losing money, no baptisms, the church doesn't grow and has to fold up, etc. Once you've written out every likely negative result of failing, ask yourself, how would I feel if these things happened? Would I still want to do this? If one or all these things happened, could I recover from this? Would it be fatal or simply a road bump during my life? Often, the opportunity to see your fears on paper reduces the unreasonable fear you have to nothing more than a calculated risk. If you are still willing to move forward, having accepted 100% the possibility of failure, you will sleep better and be more philosophical when temporary setbacks hit you. Patient. Genius is nothing but a greater aptitude for patience. Benjamin Franklin. Idealism and excitement pervades the atmosphere of most small churches. You can almost see those first baptisms and the enthusiasm surrounding them. However, waiting for those first baptisms can shake your faith. It often takes longer than you think to study with and baptize the first person. Sometimes waiting and working toward your goals can be the toughest aspect of the job. Our minds start to go to work against us, condemning and criticizing our efforts. Hold steady and be patient. Driven by a dream. Your vision drives your mission planting. It is an essential aspect of your venture. Without it, the project would most likely not exist. Like an architect who draws up plans for a building or home, you have to create the idea for your church in your mind long before you take the first step to bring it into creation. Singular focus. Whenever anything is being accomplished, it is being done by a monomaniac with a mission. Peter Drucker. You must be single-minded about what you're doing. Your goal to plant a church needs to border on obsession. Without that kind of singular focus, you'll find yourself wandering off into the weeds of distraction and desires for other things. Good church builders have an unreasonable and unnatural intensity and focus that drives them. If you have other competing desires like building your career, traveling, or becoming a singer-songwriter, Don't even consider planting a church. If someone can easily talk you out of your mission, that's also a bad sign. Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. 
One hears the term priorities quite often. The word is misused. A priority is singular, not plural. If your priority is to plant a church, you have a good chance. If you have several priorities, you are headed to mediocrity at best, humiliating failure at worst. Good marriage and family. Take a hard look at the condition of your marriage and family. If there is tension now, it will only compound on the mission field. Many type A personalities or drivers will grind their marriage into the ground for the sake of the mission planting. It's not worth losing your marriage and family to gain a few converts. Far better to work on your marriage and family and make the personal changes necessary so that you can build a great church while maintaining peace and harmony at home. Self-starter. The following seems so obvious, I hesitate to include it. However, if you're the type of person who needs to be told what to do and when to do it, church planting is not a good choice for you. You need a character that revels in the freedom and opportunity to build something where nothing existed before. Are you a compulsive list maker? I find this habit incredibly handy. I'll pull out a yellow legal pad and, and writing at the top of the page, 20 things to do to build the church this week. I will then number the left-hand column from 1 to 20 and start with idea number 1. Writing your ideas on paper produces clarity in your thinking. That list will then become my to-do list for the week. Just looking at the page of activities fills me with excitement, even though I've done nothing but write it down. I know that as those things get done, I'll be closer to my goal of having a strong and healthy church. Many people have the dream of being self-employed. Mission planting gives you the opportunity to be your own boss. Of course, you're always under the lordship of Jesus, but your success or failure hinges on your ability to execute your own ideas. Problem solver. There's nothing I cannot master with the help of the one who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, Jerusalem Bible. Related to the MacGyver trait is the problem-solving skill. Church building is a process of facing one problem after another and finding solutions. You'll need to be able to confront each problem without panicking and quickly find a solution. Good with people. Churches are in the people business. Good church leaders are good with people. They love people and know how to connect with a broad array of people. You will meet every type of person in and around your church. You'll meet many good-hearted people, and you'll encounter a few wicked, deceitful, and twisted individuals whose sole apparent motive is to make your work as difficult as possible. If you don't rate your people skills very highly, or if you find that people don't naturally gravitate toward you, you should consider another calling. People skills can be learned, but they are so invaluable, it's easier if you find them intuitive. If you want help in developing your people skills, I'd recommend the classic How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. There is a reason it's been around so long. It is the standard on the study of human relations. Optimistic. The pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. Winston Churchill. Are you by nature optimistic? 
Do you usually see the positive side of things? Do you tend to give people the benefit of the doubt? If so, these traits will serve you well as you plant a church. Your cheery, positive disposition provides a source of life and hope for the family and friends around you as you face trouble, problems, and failure in the course of building your church. If you struggle with regular bouts of depression, discouragement, and self-doubt, don't pursue leadership on the mission field. Some think the mission itself will stop the demons haunting them. Parental abuse endured as, endured as a child, molestation, neglect, take a toll on many people. If these issues are undealt with before going on a mission team, they will only be distorted and magnified in the pressure cooker of the harvest field. Mission teams attract many troubled individuals looking to solve internal problems. However, a small planting has minimal resources and a singular focus, helping save other people. Older established churches often provide grief counseling, support groups for sufferers of childhood abuse and trauma, and marriage and family counseling. I have allowed afflicted people with a burning desire to join the mission team join. Almost every time I regretted it because that person inevitably felt neglected, uncared for, and resentful toward me for my hyper-focus on saving souls. Make sure you have the capacity to snap back quickly from setbacks. You'll need all the positivity you can muster to manage the inevitable ups and downs you'll face. Even the cheeriest will have days of discouragement and disappointment. One book has helped me to increase my level of faith and optimism. That is, The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. It's a classic of self-help literature from the mid-20th century. Many business and salespeople have benefited from the book, but the writer was actually a minister. Its greatest application should be in the spiritual realm, working toward directly spiritual goals. Its underlying message emphasizes memorizing and meditating on faith-building scriptures to increase your level of faith and optimism. If you're a church leader or aspire to be, this one needs to be in your library, read and reread many times. Self-aware. Have you ever had the experience of talking to someone in the fellowship who started talking about themselves and kept talking for 10 to 15 minutes without a break? Have you ever found yourself in that situation anxiously waiting for a break in their conversation when you can break in and excuse yourself? If so, you've experienced a person who lacks self-awareness. Many times, I've been tempted to tell that person, Bob, do you realize that you've been talking about yourself for 15 minutes straight? Don't be that person. Get in touch with your strengths, weaknesses, and quirks. Effective discipling should provide clear feedback. However, if we couple a lack of self-awareness with pride and arrogance, we block anyone from offering useful feedback to us. There are many Christians who languish unchanged year after year. Their pride won't allow or invite anyone to offer constructive feedback. You need to invite and encourage feedback so that you can receive it without losing your self-confidence. When someone gives you feedback, even if done in a critical tone, say, thank you. I value your input. I recently had an appointment with a man who talked for an hour straight about all of my perceived weaknesses. Some, some complaints were right on. Some were off target. All were presented in a negative, condemning tone. After he stopped, I replied, thank you. I appreciate your input. 
At that point, he attempted, he attempted to patch things up with, but I do love you. People who lack self-awareness are often masters of dissecting the weaknesses of others. Develop the skill to know yourself and to accept input without getting defensive. It will serve you well as a leader. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask your help. First, hit the subscribe button. Secondly, post the episode on your favorite social media site and let your friends know about this program. Thirdly, read and review one of my books, like this book, How to Plant and Grow a Church, or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find both of these on Amazon.com. And when you read them, please review them. Finally, email me if you have any life advice you'd like me to address or if you have a topic or person you'd like to hear on the program. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.